0: Hello, and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening, this podcast is brought to you by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution to increase the avenues where we can connect. Our hosts serve as interlocutors, engaging in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field my name is Caroline Stauffer, and I am one of your hosts. Today's guests, Josef Leidenfrost, President of European Network Ombuds, and Ryan Smith, Assistant University Ombudsperson at Michigan State University, are here to discuss part two of our two part series for Ombuds Day the American and European Internal Operations of ombuds in an organization.
1: Welcome to Resolutions, Yosef Leidenrost and Ryan Smith, to talk about umbuds and the framework between American and European structures. And if you could share with us how the values of ombuds is communicated through these
2: frameworks. Sure. Yeah, thank you. I have been in ombuds for a little under four years. And so I serve as the assistant ombuds at Michigan State University. And the way I the way I came into the role, I had worked in higher education for about 10 years before, mostly in different student affair type roles. And so I worked in housing, I worked in um, student activities, most of my time was spent in student conduct. And one of the kind of themes and threads that I that I was pulling out of a lot of these roles and and the work that I was drawn to, was that of conflict resolution. And so I was trained as a conflict coach, I was trained as a mediator. And a lot of folks, especially in conduct work, really see the value of conflict resolution training and conflict resolution skills when they're working with students. Because a lot of times through conflict resolution, you can avoid a lot of the behaviors that get students in trouble and that come, come up to you in the conduct role. And so I had been drawn to that work for a long time. And then I had finished a doctorate. And at that time was was kind of looking to transition. And so I was really drawn to the ombuds role. And I've been able to kind of, especially before I found that found the position to meet some some great folks to have some really great mentors in this space. And I think that I was just drawn to ombuds as well. I think they're just very interesting people, very dynamic coming from all walks of life. And, and I was really fortunate enough to be able to to land the role at Michigan State. So ombuds person's office at Michigan State University, is the longest-standing college or university ombuds in the United States. It wasn't actually the first ombuds office that was established in the United States. The first one was, at least as far as we can tell, was at Eastern Montana University. It's it's, it's since changed names, but then that that office is no longer around. And so um, this office was established in 1968. It's got a really interesting and unique kind of lineage from the first ombuds to the current ombuds that I that I work for now. And so it's been a, it's been a really interesting place to work and an interesting place to sort of be in touch with the history of the office and the history of the field in the United States.
1: Do you see a difference between the regions around you versus other parts in the United States?
2: I, I don't know if I do necessarily. I think that that's a struggle that ombuds have had since, since their founding in the United States, especially is, I mean, you have this, this role that is hard to define in one sentence. It's a little bit nuanced. And oftentimes it kind of operates in in the gray space. On top of that, I think you know what you find, especially probably more so in the United States, but maybe elsewhere too, is ombuds have to sort of defend themselves or or kind of communicate the value in terms of making a business case. And so what that then leads to is, well, how has an ombuds person's office um, saved an organization money? How has an, o- an ombuds person's office um, kept employees, um, prevented turnover? prevented lawsuits potentially. And I think they do, but I think that those are, those are elements that are difficult to measure.
1: And before we go to you, Yosef, uh, I just have one last question for you, Ryan, which is what values are being
2: communicated through the ombuds office? In in terms of, in terms of values that are being communicated, I think an organization that, that has an ombuds by having an ombuds, they're communicating the value of, of their people. And the value of the relationships, and so uh, university. I'm a university ombuds. I'm a student-facing ombuds, and so I think for what that means is that the university values their students, and they value the concerns that their students are bringing, and trying to help folks navigate conflict, navigate bureaucracy, navigate pathways within an organization that can be really large and complex. I think outside of the university space, an organizational ombuds, you know, is is really communicating the value of their employees and that they want to make the, the space better for employees. And then the more governmental ombuds that you're finding in the United States, um, the long-term care ombuds, again, it comes down to people. you know how do we create a space for where our, our citizens are being heard? Where do we create a space to protect the rights of, of folks in you know long-term care facilities in other facilities where they might not have, as much of a voice, and they're having to overcome power dynamics. So really, I would say it comes down to people.
1: It's interesting that you talk about the different types of umbuds and talking about bureaucracy, which is actually a really great segue to you, Yosef, because it's my understanding that you were the Ministry of the umbuds of Education, and now you are currently the president of the European Network Umbuds. Yes. Can you share with us your journey the work that
3: you've been doing. A song by the Beatles comes into my mind at this point. A long and winding road, you know. <laughs> I started working for the for the government or for government agencies because it was different <coughs> parts of the government in 1988, and usually uh, was always in charge of uh, any kind of student issues. I started as an advisor to one, and then to a second, and then to a third minister on student issues on internationalization and that kind of of stuff. And then in uh, 2001, when tuition fees uh, had been reintroduced into the Austrian system, um, they said, the then minister actually said, what uh, costs something uh, has to be worth something. And so she set up or rather reset uh, the Ombuds uh, office at the ministry. And I was uh, uh, assigned uh, to be the first Ombudsman I finished that position just on the 31st of March of this year. So I've done it for 21 years. So it was uh, any kind of, of student relationships, student institutional relationships that I had worked on uh, before. And then uh, it became kind of complaint management. And we are still using the word uh, complaint in 2001. And as I said, I did it until uh, did this job until just recently. As far as the values are concerned uh, that we are working with, I'm talking now about my office specifically. We always promoted ourselves as being uh, somebody who helps to hear the students' voices heard. So a place of probably last help and last hope at the same time in really uh, extreme cases, but somebody who makes the uh, students to be heard. I do like I'm not sure if this is for little episodes, but I do like to to serve the net a lot. And there's a little, I think it's TikTok, <laughs> trailer, where you see a German shepherd, a young German shepherd. You see that it's a very young dog. And then the question comes up, who has ears but does not listen? It's the young German shepherd. And sometimes uh, we did have the impression, and I still have it actually, that uh, people responsible for university policies and for the governance, they do have ears, they do get uh, reports, they do get issues being pointed out to them, but they don't listen. Or if they listen, they sometimes, sorry to say, do not understand.
1: What is it that you think they don't understand? Or do you think they do understand, but there are things, let's say, other policies that might be affected that supersede policies proposed by umbuds
3: two extreme situations about uh, which reactions we got when we did contact uh, the people responsible. By the way, I think you mentioned it before, we are obliged as the national office at the ministry to uh, come up with an annual report, which is presented to the minister and to the parliament and actually discussed with them. So it's uh, these two extreme situations we always knew that you would be coming one of these days because we have this or that issue, that problem. And the other extreme situation, that's all what we needed, you coming to explain to us what we have to do. So a mixture of these two extreme reactions, as I had to learn uh, over the more than 20 years. And it's its always difficult to change policies, even more difficult, of course, to, to correct what a person might have done wrong, uh, let alone uh, dismissing him or her, which actually never happened during the last 20 years, as long as I was in that position uh, because it's not that easy unless it's a very very extreme case we never were involved in something like that so it always is it depends on the intenseness, how high-leveled uh, a case, an issue uh, was, if something was done, if, if the institution has reacted responsively, And the, the bigger the institution is, the more they send people around in circles. You know, Nobody really wants to take a decision, which is yet another phenomenon.
1: Well, I think it's very interesting, this process that is taken here in Europe, because it's my understanding. We, t- we talked about this. <laughs> I believe that you said it's your 30 minutes of fame but that 30 minutes is not just a month's review, it's the entire year of analysis to the ministry, is that correct?
3: Well, to the minister, to the minister ad personam and to the to the parliament, to the subcommittee of higher education and annual report. Uh, we are lucky that, and I think this is very important, we are lucky that we are enshrined by law ever since 2012 where we have this obligation, this duty to come up with these uh, national reports. Being under the law actually at the same time means that we cannot be abolished because they would have to change the law. I understand from Ryan that there are, uh, he mentioned one example, but there are uh, ombuds offices uh, in the United States, which, and in Canada probably, uh, which have been closed down over the years out of whatever reasons. I'm, I'm myself aware of one. concrete example. So those 30 minutes which are actually open to the public is a meeting of the subcommittee on on higher education subcommittee of the parliament where our uh, uh, annual report is actually discussed. Uh, They should have read it beforehand uh, the parliamentarians which they not always have but we always try to to talk to the press before it goes public and highlight of that report like which recommendations we had and which institutions we actually do name. We give names in that report and in order to push uh, that things improve there. So we communicate with beforehand with the press in order to see some better results than just those 30 minutes. It's not televised, but it's open to the public. Those 30 minutes where we can got, get Caroline, as you have said, our fame, our annual fame. And But yes, it is a report for the whole year, for the whole academic year. And mind you, for all for all 70, 70 higher education institutions that we have here in Austria, being as small as 100 students and being as big as Vienna University, for example, with 94,000, I repeat, 94,000 students.
1: Wow. Are these reports well received by the institutions or the universities?
3: In German, we have a word that is Sein, which exists of Ja and Nein. Yes, and no. So it depends. It depends. Can I use uh, that words? at work? Like oh, yes, please. Please. It's a it's not a yes and it's not a no, it's something in between. So it depends if you have understand uh, people who understand the issue and know that something should be done about uh, problems that, that they might have. Also depending actually on the size of an institution. A very, very large um, institution, of course, has different kinds of problems than a, a rather small institution. So it depends how their general approach to our work and to our office is. Uh, ombuds offices, uh, the work of ombudspeople in general is not really considered so positively. As I said, some consider it being important that uh, we bring in our commands and and address issues uh, which might go wrong. But then another reaction uh, reaction sometimes is, why the heck uh, did people go to see you first? They should have tried to solve the issue with us. Uh, Mind you, there are very few, there are some, but there are very few higher education institutions, uh, at least for a time being here in Austria, which do have their own ombuds offices. Again, mind you, one person shows, I mean, ombuds offices, it's an email address and a telephone number. And that's about it. No secretariat, no, no permanent staff. That's, uh, that's reality. So, Jain, we are not liked uh, and we are liked at the same time.
1: Well, I think that's interesting that you say, why did they come to you first than us? But I heard you earlier say that you are the last hope. And do you find that people do try first to go through the lower levels, go through the university setting? And then my second question is, have you seen a shift or a change occur
3: within a university because of a report? Uh, Some people have tried. uh other authorities uh, on the local level first, Uh, but if they were repelled, if they were sent back, if if they said, we don't listen to you, or if they rather did not listen, even didn't say, we don't listen to you, they might end up with us. And um, we have cases where people have written uh, to the president, to the federal president of the Republic of Austria, who have written to the prime minister and Mm -hmm. who have written to the uh, minister of higher education, It all ends up on our desk uh, anyway. So, different Mm -hmm. avenues, so to speak, um, Mm -hmm. that people uh, are approaching us. The second question was if I noticed any or noticed any changes uh, uh, in connection with our reports. They never would say in public we did change because we read it in the report. But sometimes you do have uh, changes uh, which are definitely along the lines of what we have uh, recommended but they hardly admit that it needed advice from outside and especially not from the National Ombudsman Office, that they have uh, changed policies, that they have changed uh, concrete situations. We also do actually give, I'm not sure how how familiar uh, and how... um, how widely uh, practiced this might be in the States and in Canada, but we have the possibility, like actually any citizen of Austria, uh, to send in comments if new laws are discussed in Parliament. They are brought forward as a, uh, as a draft, made public, and then you can give statements which are, again, publicized, like our report is. And we also do that. We give recommendations when when laws come out and uh, include that actually also into our uh, annual reports. So that's yet another uh, instrument that if we see uh, system problems, that we, systemical problems, that we include that into our work and into our reporting.
1: Yosef, you've explained a lot. And I want to ask Ryan here, in Yosef's explanation about reporting, we know that in the American system, there are certain um umbuds that do re- reports for the government, but in terms in the university setting, is there reporting?
2: It's, it's funny, you know, listening to Joseph, I can say, oh, I mean, there are so many similarities. I mean, even though there's there are very different structures. So we write an annual report as well for a university administration. And that goes to the university president and the provost. And so that contains one, just general numbers, you know, trends that we're seeing, but we also, it also gives us the opportunity to make recommendations and highlight other discussion points. And so, you know, every year based on trends and based on what we were seeing, we're making generally more kind of broad-based recommendations in terms of issues in in a certain place. and, And you may want to consider something in response. You know, so we're not that decision maker on that. I think
1: listeners would like to hear what sort of things may arise, if possible, if you're able to share and types of recommendations can come out of this report.
2: I I guess in terms of just a general example, something we may report back in in an annual report is even um, like service level complaints, you know. So for example, if we have had a number of visitors to our office coming in talking about the service they're receiving in a particular office on campus. And, you know, maybe it's leading them I guess to have bad experiences, but sometimes, you know, depending on depending on where it is, it could impact their status as a student and it can it can potentially set them back and it can do a lot of these things. As it's happening, if we're receiving a number of complaints, then, then that's something that we'll try to provide We'll reach out to to a particular office in the moment to say, look, we're just so you know, we're getting a number of complaints about X, Y, or Z. And generally, it's something that they're probably aware of. And we can kind of have that communication about, you know, where it's going and and how we can support and how they can kind of move to to remedy it. But then also those in the annual report, we can put it in so it goes to upper level administration so that they know as well that we're getting a number of issues about a particular office or place on campus or or area or something like that.
1: Yeah, so do you have something similar like that or...? I have,
3: I have a very concrete example. I'm trying to find the correct English word for that so that I can report that to you because uh, it is quite self-explanatory. Uh, okay, I hope I got the right word. I use DeepL just for the people who are listening to us. A very good program, a, a translation program. Let me explain that case or describe that case to you that is very also self-explanatory at the same time. And it is actually very mundane. Is that mundane?
0: mundane? Yes.
3: I (laughs) hope I used the right word. Listen to it. Uh, We had a 70-year, one old uh, student, because there are people in their third age. I might start studying. Uh, I'm now 65.4. But we have a third age, as they are called, tercera edad in Spanish uh, students. And there was a 70-year, one old student of law who did not happen to have a computer at home. It, ne- it doesn't say anywhere in the law on registration, on, on uh, perpetuation of your studies, that you do have to use uh, computers, you know? But the uh, admission department at that very uh, university uh, insisted that he does his all his communication with the university by computer, and especially his uh, the renewal of his registration, which means to pay the monthly, the, sorry, the semester fee uh, for studying. And he said, "I don't." He called. He called us. He had a telephone. I'm not sure if a mobile or um, a, a landline. But he did call us and said, "I'm so, I'm so uh, desperate because I can't uh, renew my my semester." And what we did, we recommended the university that she would, that it would, the university would accept uh, this guy uh, to be sent a little invoice by mail, so that he could go to the bank or to the post office and pay that. Uh, Uh, semester fee that we are solution oriented if I might if I may generalize our role at this point and with these words if somebody comes uh, to see us uh, we would and then talk to us and sends us documents whatever uh, we are looking into the case into the issue and try to help him or her you know if I have it was not the university of Vienna it was a different university if I have 94,000 clients more or less students in German anliegen einbringer which means people who come up with complaints and uh, the british call it complaints we call it complaints in our translation the americans call it actually visitors but anyway if i have 94,000 clients who can come up with issues i have a different approach to the individual Uh, in this case to the 71 year old guy uh, who wanted to continue his law studies you know so i can understand the other side but we are there i think uh, in order to help and find an escape
2: road Thinking of, a, thinking of an example, you know, um, after, after what Yosef had shared too, a lower level issue that they just needed a little bit of help addressing. You know, so our university has a policy called the grief absence policy that allows a student to request time to attend funeral services if they have a family member who's passed. And that's a policy that sometimes I think is difficult for faculty members to, to understand and translate because you know a lot of times faculty members will say, "Well, I can you can have one absence per the syllabus or something like that," but the policy actually goes above and beyond that. Um, which there aren't a lot of policies that really do that at Michigan State. And so, you know, I had a student call me, actually a, a, an admin, another administrator called and asked if they could refer a student in who was, dealing, who was trying to navigate this with a faculty member and the faculty member is just kind of referring them back into the absence policies that are in the syllabus. I think what's hard about this particular policy and the situation that students are in is that they're, you know, they're generally grieving. It's, it's maybe somebody very close to them has passed away and that's not when they're wanting to have to jump through a lot of hoops and navigate a lot of bureaucracy. And sometimes it can be fairly urgent. And so in that situation, you know, I talked to the student and then I picked up the phone and I called the faculty member and I, and I just clarified, you know, th- this is really the, the nature of the policy. And this is kind of what's expected on the, from the policy in terms of that above and beyond what a, an instructor would normally do. And I think, just reaching out to clarify, you know, and I call those, you know, these clarifying conversations can help. And so, you know, then they were able to follow the policy and follow up with the student and and grant the student the absences that they were that they were needing to attend those bereavement services.
1: Hearing these types of conflicts, my question to both of you is: What have you learned in all these years? Because you mentioned Yosef, there's ninety four thousand students. <laughs> And you come up with a unique solution for everyone. What have you learned to help those proposals be successful?
3: I would like, if I may, uh, Ryan, uh, start. And I would like to refer to three cases, issues, which we had included in our last most recent annual report about the academic year Uh, 2021. And we printed and mentioned the names of the institutions. and uh, by doing that, we are actually obliged by law that we ask for uh, explanations or statements from the institutions uh, on that issue as we present it. So they get the text of what we suggest. I would not like to go into details at this moment, what the, what the proposals, what the issues actually were. They are published uh, in German. I mean, I could now, in my brain, if it still works, uh, <laughs> translate <laughs> it into English. But anyway, uh, one statement was quite short. and. To the point and and correct. One statement was very sharp in the sense of we don't need you to explain the situation to us. And by the way, and then they they gave a lot of arguments uh, what we did not take into consideration. Of course, we saw it differently. And the third one gave a completely neutral statement. Again, cases with names in our annual report need to have uh, statements by the institutions which are mentioned in our uh, case description. And it differs from institution to institution, how they react and how strong or how mild they do react. But they do react because they have to react because it's under the...
1: In those reactions, has ombuds changed the way they publish the information?
3: Since it happened for the first time in this mentioned report 2021, for the very first time, uh, no adjustment uh, so far has to be... uh, We were not able to make any adjustment to that. I fortunately am not in charge of this year's report, 2122, because <laughs> annual report means you're writing it for a whole year, more or less. <laughs> Since the deadline is the 15th of December, always the time before Christmas was phew, horror. Um, so um, I don't think we did anything wrong by, by writing it uh, as we did, because um, we have an advisory board. Uh, with which uh, we actually discussed those uh, uh, issues and the texting, and I don't think we need to be either milder or stronger uh, during the next year for statements describing the cases with the names. I don't think we did anything wrong or were too aggressive. I don't think so.
2: I don't think so. right. I read something that that was written by an early Ombud. These early early ombuds in the United States, there were a lot of them that were trying to kind of like define the role and define you know how they operate within the, within the concept. The context of an institution. And one of them that stood out to me that I remember, he was trying to explain an ombuds role. And he said that an an ombuds is sort of like trying to rob a bank with a water gun. Oh, boy. Where... (laughs) where it's, it's effective, but only so far. And then once you actually have to use it, sometimes the other folks realize that it's just a water gun, you know, and I think that one of the most effective tools that, that an ombuds has, other than, you know, persuasion and, and, and diplomacy and, and tact and trying to engage with colleagues is this idea of publicity, and just kind of calling attention to something when there's an issue that's not being addressed, or that's that's being repeated, I think that an ombuds can say, hey, I just need to raise this up and let Folks know, but I think that that's one of the challenges too of uh, the organizational model in the United States is that I can pick up the phone and I can have a conversation. We can write something in an annual report. Can I go in and, and twist somebody's arm until they actually, you know, do what they're they're supposed to be doing? Personally, no, I can't. You know, but then I think in these situations, what I what I see my job as is equipping a student or a visitor as best as possible to engage and navigate the process and then to support somebody as they're doing that. And so I I think a lot of what I do and sometimes how I explain my role when I'm working with visitors is to say, well, you know, I'm going to bring somebody in and we're going to assemble the toolbox that they need in order to kind of move forward with with a situation. And so I think oftentimes my first response is to say, well, you know, these are policies you should be aware of. These are pathways that you should know about. And these are your options, I guess, formal options and informal op- to either escalate something or to go through a, a formal grievance process or something like that. And then there's the potential picking up a phone, you know, intervention from there. And then I think where things can escalate the most is to just kind of bring attention, you know, letting letting a department know, letting a division know, putting it into an annual report.
1: What I'm hearing both of you say is that umbuds is a voice and it's also a way for visitors as you put it nicely Ryan can have a voice it sheds light to the things that are happening and it sounds Yosef that in your example of the universities that were published this is what's happening here in Vienna Austria here are the universities and we are reporting on what is being said among participants that that come into
3: or talk to ombuds I actually did mention it in German, and it's a, German words can be very long. (laughs) It's (laughs) Anliegen Einbringer, uh, because in the, in the law, it talks about Anliegen, which would be issues. So people who bring forward issues, Anliegen Einbringer, so they are not really complainants or quijantes, as they are called in Spanish, they are not visitors, because that's, I think uh, that word is a little bit too soft, so to speak. So they are Anliegen Einbringer, people coming forward with issues. That's what, we, that's what we actually, in, in German, uh, in Austrian-German, might be different in German-German, mind you. And um, so far, I've only been talking about uh, the situation in Austria. Uh, as I said, the OIA, the, the uh, English and Welsh Ombudsman uh, for the higher education system there, England and Wales, not Scotland, not Northern Ireland, they talk about complainants. And our Spanish colleagues, they talk about quejantes, uh, Quixante, uh, queja, queja, I think, is the Spanish word for complaint, And quejantes are complainers. So we have different wordings. It takes, in in my opinion, it takes out, of course, the, uh, the rigidity of this word exists if you call somebody a complainant. So we just call mm-hmm. him foring for a person who comes up with an issue I think that uh, language language uh, uh, matters a lot you know uh, in, the, in, our, in our in our work uh, which words to use at which occasions yeah. sometimes you need to be a little bit more harsh but generally speaking you should use uh, soft but not too soft
1: I agree with you that there are there are differences in the different regions and those are important to acknowledge and With that said, do you have any last thoughts about the American versus the European or European versus the American structures of Umbuds?
3: If I may start, uh, uh, if I know the U.S. system and probably also the Canadian system well enough, I think it's uh, a lot more informal than the European systems actually are. Talking about European systems, I mentioned that uh, in an earlier meeting, Uh, European system is like a stamp collection, you know, different colors, different values, different sizes, Um, you can't really uh, generalize, but I think in general, and now I'm contradicting myself, uh, there's more (laughs) writing, there's more official uh, going back and forth, uh, 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 official documents, official statements, whatever, going back and forth, although I have to mention that here too, one of our Spanish colleagues many years ago said, uh, profession is all about as much of talking as possible, as little of writing as necessary, you know. So I think the difference is uh, the, the formality and the procedures uh, between the European system, if you can generalize it, and the US and probably the Canadian system. I've heard of your of, of US colleagues who see visitors, and they call them visitors, and when they leave their room, they throw away all the notes which they have taken, you know, for example. So, I think that's the formality versus the informality uh, is is one big uh, difference as far as I can judge as I as far as I can comment from my position from what I know about the uh, about the systems.
1: And Yosef, just, just for clarification, does the European Ombuds, do they keep their notes?
3: Oh, Yes, I would say generally speaking, yes, by all means, definitely the OIA, the, the English and Welsh. Uh, uh, organization and they even they have a very interesting thing when cases come in first of all they need a clarification by the institution where the student uh, is studying so the institution has to be clear no more means no more pathways no more possibility on our level and then the uia first judges if it's three types of it's not acceptable, half-acceptable, non-acceptable, but something similar to that. I don't remember it now exactly. But anyway, there's a lot of, not formalism, but a lot of writing and thinking about uh, cases. Justified, that's the word. Justified, partly justified, and unjustified. That's, mm-hmm. for example, the Welsh-English uh, system. And yes, other countries too have this kind of uh, formalized uh, procedures, and yes, they do keep records.
0: Oh, wow. But
3: we have the problem... Uh, lucky you uh, on the other side of the ocean, we now have the general data protection rules imposed by all, at least member states of the European Union, uh, which is a different story. We never had problems with that. It, 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 it's on record taking, record keeping, uh, record keeping for more than 30 or at least 30 years or so. So uh, yes, record keeping is an issue and is, it's broadly existent in the, in the system. In the european system.
1: Interesting. Thank you. Ryan?
2: Yeah, I, I would um, I would agree with what Yosef had shared in terms of that difference and informality being the big one. You know, I think that the educational ombuds in the United States is really more aligned with the organizational ombuds model. And the four tenets of that is going to be confidential, independent, neutral, and informal. Uh, we are confidential, um, but we don't have the um, statutory confidentiality that like an attorney does, or a a medical provider or therapist does. And so I think that's why we don't, we don't keep records, we don't keep identifiable records. And so that we can make sure that we're really enforcing that confidentiality or, or sticking to that confidentiality as best as we're able to. But then that informal piece, often not codified, often not, there aren't formal Grievance mechanisms or complaint mechanisms that are housed through an ombuds, but we can refer out as needed to the ones that are existing. But what I but what I find interesting, and and I've I've had the pleasure of engaging with an you know, the European Network of Ombuds in Higher Education, Yosef, um, the organization that Yosef is is the president of, you know. But once you once you start to actually talk about the stories or the the things you've seen or or how certain certain things have have developed there are so many commonalities in the in the day-to-day work even even given the differences that exist so as a part of the the most recent conference i went to a training that was on ombuds investigations so as an informal ombuds i do not conduct investigations and but it was a very interesting training and and i was able to take So much away from this day long training on investigations, even though I don't conduct investigations, because I think a lot of the approaches, a lot of the tools that we're that I'm using as the informal organizational ombuds are used in these more formal models as well. Um, And a lot of it is just, you know, listening and sitting down and working with somebody who is experiencing an issue and helping them to resolve it.
1: Well, thank you so much, Yosef and Ryan, to talk to us about Umbuds. And Umbuds Day will be approaching soon on October 13th. And that's a Thursday, Thursday, October 13th. And it seems to be very, it seems that it will be a very exciting conference with a lot of different folks coming from different places, and sharing different pathways, as you mentioned before. We look forward to coming to Ombuds. I know that I marked it on my calendar. And thank you again. Thank you, Yosef and Ryan. Thank you again for being here today as
0: as
2: our guests on ABA Resolutions.
0: Thank you. Thank you.